escape pod we have another what happened episode today chatting all about the dark saber origins mandalorian jedi origins and the character of tar Vizla. what happened there and a lot of speculation on mandalorian season three what we could see with the return of the dark saber in dinjarin's hands the live action sabine wren that we're going to see in the ahsoka show and going forward in those shows so much stuff to talk about, and uh, we're really looking forward to doing that. I'm your host, Josh, and our co-host, Blake, is joining us for the ride. Thanks for tuning in. Let's do it. Another happy landing. You were just a baby, so you couldn't come, but... Father brought me here to see the statue of Tarvisla, the ancient Mandalorian ruler. <sighs> Amazing, right? So much history and hope in one carving. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, good to be here. Good to have you back, as always. Uh, that was a little audio clip there from Star Wars Rebels. Uh, actually, sorry, a, star, a clip from Star Wars Forces of Destiny. Did you watch that ever? No, I assumed that was Sabine talking. Yeah, that was Sabine talking. Um, oh, so okay. it's, a, it's a clip from Star Wars Forces of Destiny, which was geared at younger girls who were very much into dolls slash Barbies, that kind of age group. Uh, I guess Lucasfilm just thought, let's make a girl toy lineup. And it failed miserably, uh, I guess, because... You can't buy those anymore, but um, the Force of Destiny lineup was basically like a Star Wars Barbie, but not by Mattel. It was like a, I guess it was maybe Hasbro or something that was making them. Okay, but it's, and, it's uh, Star Wars and theme. So yes, it was. It was called Star Wars Forces of Destiny, and it was just dolls that were stylized to look like Barbies, and a lot of them were like Ahsoka, Padme, Leia. Sabine, you know, okay. like a lot of like, yeah, pr pronounced kind of uh, female characters that you could buy yeah. like Barbies for. Right. And I think they did have other characters as well. Like, I think you could buy uh, some like droid, like 3PO or something like I, I, I vaguely remember what was available. I'd, obviously, it's kind of not the thing that I would be buying. But um, but yeah, it's uh, along with the Barbie line or with the, with the with the doll lineup, they did a, a YouTube show like a youtube series called the forces of destiny which were a series of part. at least i remember yeah. the, the ray one yeah there was a ray one there was like and and it was all these like little two to three ish minute youtube free 
videos that they put out on the Star Wars YouTube channel. And uh, there would be one that would drop every week or every couple of days uh, when this toy lineup came out. And they did like two-ish seasons, I think. I, did, I think they did, I think it was two seasons. But, okay. And they're just uh, shorts? Like two yeah, they're minutes? just shorts. Yeah, like two or three minutes each. So it took me no time to blast through all of them at one point. Uh, one of them is, and they, they all are, they're technically canon. And they oh. all kind of take place in these little segments between all the other parts of what we know to be canon, which consists of comics, books, video games, movies, t- TV shows, all the all the stuff, right? Audio books and everything. Uh, so uh, these little two to three minute shorts are, in fact, canon and they do explain some little things like there was one one more notable one uh, was how Leia gets the uh, was it Bush? costume bosch oh Boosh, yeah Boosh. the, the bounty right, hunter yeah. costume that she Jedi. wears to, yeah. yeah the yeah the jabba's palace disguise that she wears uh who that Ato. is a character Ato. Ato. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's holding a thermal detonator, detonator. <laughs> <laughs> for all those yes. listening they didn't know what we're talking about yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh yeah so so um uh, that disguise that she wears, there's a there's a whole two to three minute short that takes place where Leia gets this disguise and how that happens and everything like that. And it, it, it all just kind of it happens very quickly. And it's the kind of story that given a full length Marvel comic or something, it could have been played up way better. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, they, I, I think it's just like little things that they're like, oh, hey, let's just do that in a short let's just do this do that like there was even one short that they did Mm -hmm. yeah there was one short that they did and i think i may have mentioned this way earlier on a podcast episode like maybe months ago but uh when we did the ewok adventures commentary and uh and uh there was uh i I mentioned one of these forces of destiny episodes uh gave a canonicity uh to the big giant from Ewok Adventures, the big Gorax or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. the giant thing that the, yeah, yeah from the, so from the first one, yeah, from the first Ewok Adventures movie, which is Legends, but they canonized that thing in in the Forces of Destiny short and explain why the Ewoks have all these booby traps set up before the Empire comes, and it's actually because they they use those things to defend themselves against these giant creatures, but yeah, who eat eat Ewoks and in in the Ralph McQuarrie concept artwork for for the Star Wars films there's actually a, a a painting of that of his that he did of this monster that never showed up in the movie and they used it for Ewok adventures and now later in the canon they've used it for one of these one of these shorts so uh they're like that um so if you know if anyone's got like an hour to burn to watch like these little Star Wars shorts they're not half bad. I mean, you can't really expect too much of them, but yeah, it's, it's canon, so you're gonna learn something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of them was based around the Star Wars Rebels era. They did Clone Wars, they did Rebels, they did original prequel, everything, uh, sequels, all that stuff. So uh, one of them was based around the Star Wars Rebels. I don't know where it fits into place. Probably between some of the episodes that Sabine is on Mandalore, and uh, she takes her. Um, uh, Tristan. This, is, this is after she has the dark saber i assume uh i believe it's around that same time yeah it's around the same time that she's kind of like learning how to use it and stuff and like comes face to face with her family again and all that and uh she goes to see the statue of tar Vizla with uh tristan who i'm totally mind blanking if that's her brother or not i 
it's somebody that she, I'm pretty sure it's her brother or something. I think it's her brother's as well. Yeah. 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 So she meets her whole family. That yeah, show. that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, her brother, Tristan uh, and her go to see, the, well, they're kind of doing some scouting. I, I don't know what they're doing. It's, it's like cuts in the middle of some action. And, uh, they, uh, they come across this big, huge statue of Tar Vizsla and there's a bunch of stormtroopers around it and stuff. And then they're like, oh, we got to save the sacred statue. So let's, you know, kill all the stormtroopers or whatever, which Star Wars Rebels, you know, they don't kill anybody. So whatever. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it like it shows the statue and she's like, this thing has got so much history to it and everything. So the clip that you heard at the very beginning, that's that's a little segment from Forces of Destiny. And I just realized I spent over eight minutes talking about Forces of Destiny, which <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. I will say, it's never saw that coming. Longer never saw than the coming. show itself. <laughs> so so uh, let's listen to our little clip from Star Wars Rebels, though, about uh, Tar Vizsla, who's the kind of the focus of today's What Happened show, and just why this What Happened episode is happening at all is because Mandalorian brought into the live action. Uh, uh, this very fan favorite uh, weapon known as the Darksaber, which was introduced to canon in the Clone Wars and uh, actually wasn't even a thing at all in, in Legends until George Lucas made it a thing. And I'll talk about that which later. Is, but Yeah, we could get, get into that later, but I was very surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool stuff. But um, so it was made for Clone Wars and then was later brought up in Star Wars Rebels and then uh, was given a, a big... A long history as to what that thing is and uh that clip is what we're going to listen to now before we continue to talk about tar Vizsla and the dark saber together so let's take a listen you wanted to speak with me i've got something to show you what's this about a lightsaber not just any lightsaber So you recognize it? That I do. It is the Darksaber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla, and later the group known as Death Watch. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the Saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the Saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. This Saber is an important symbol to that house and respected by the other clans. I imagine Sabine was excited to recover it. <laughs> you wouldn't know it. After we got back from Dathomir, she gave it to me for safekeeping and hasn't brought it up since. She doesn't want the responsibility. Kanan, if Sabine can wield this saber, she can reunite one of the most powerful houses in all of Mandalore. You're talking about raising an army. With Sabine leading it. Alright, so uh, that's from Star Wars Rebels. Sabine finds the Darksaber and Darth Maul, or... Crimson Dawn Maul's old uh, old hideaway and on Dathomir before he obviously gets stranded on on Malachor and then we know what happens from there. He goes to Tatooine and everything like that. Has his final spoiler alert uh, as a final confrontation with Obi Wan Kenobi before he dies in the desert. Uh, but 
Yeah. While that, before all that happened, I guess, or after that happened, Sabine finds the, his, his old Darksaber that he won from pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars uh, on his hideaway. And what, I mean, uh, before we talk about Tar Vizsla, what are your thoughts on the Darksaber? Because, yeah, you're surprised that this was introduced by George Lucas uh, in the Clone Wars. And there's actually a little thing I grabbed off of the Wikipedia saying that it was intended pre-Vizsla and the Clone Wars used a vibroblade, uh, like uh, a familiar weapon that's known in now in canon as well, because they introduced them finally in the Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, it took but, long enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the EU, they were super popular. Any Star Wars RPG player is going to know what vibroblades are as well. They're just knives just that... A, a melee weapon that's not a lightsaber. It's, yeah. It just needed something. It's a knife that vibrates at high frequencies to make cutting a lot better. Yeah. So uh, in Clone Wars, technically, they did have knives. They just never vibrated. So there's a question as to whether or not they were just not knives or fiber blades. But anyway, uh, George Lucas decided he wanted Pre Vizsla to have uh, some sort of lightsaber variant. And then they came up with a black bladed lightsaber that they called the Darksaber. So that was kind of a cool little, you know, side effect of George wanting something different for mm-hmm. for uh, Pre Vizsla, who John Favreau voices and stuff, which is awesome. Okay. Uh, First question. Yeah. Did this come out... The idea of the Darksaber in Clone Wars. Did that come out before or after the first Force Unleashed? Because the first Force Unleashed game, you can get a black lightsaber. Mm. So when was Force Unleashed released again? That's what I was wondering. It's I think it's like 2007. Let's take a look. Um, okay, so season two of Star Wars The Clone Wars aired between 2009 fall and uh, the next year spring in 2010. So that was season two. And that's when the Darksaber was first introduced, which was the Mandalore arc uh, known uh, in season two, episode 12, the Mandalore plot, uh, which carries through to season two, episode 14, Duchess of Mandalore. So... It was those three episodes that the Darksaber kind of made its appearance in with Pre Vizsla. And uh, so, yeah, we're looking at solid February 2010. Uh, Force Unleashed came out two years. Sorry. Two, yeah. So, yeah, two years so, prior to that. So, George copied Force Unleashed then. Yeah. So, I yes. guess, I guess, yeah, it must have taken some sort of inspiration from that. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first the, time. The blade itself looks exactly the same. We're like, where it's normally white, the whole thing is black, and then it has white glowing on the outside of it. Interesting. Yeah. So, so it's not flat, and it doesn't like it doesn't look like a katana. It just looks like a regular lightsaber. The, but the blade, artistically, looks the same. Interesting. Yeah. So I then, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess Force Unleashed might have something to do with that. Because that's why I, mean, I had always assumed it was an EU thing that they used in the game. It's not the first time that George has taken stuff from comic books and other sources and said, oh, I like that, and then make it into a thing. So True. Uh, Ayla Sakura is a good example of that, as well as uh, Quinlan Voss, who showed up in a comic before they made him a character cameo in Phantom Menace. But uh, Ayla Sakura was the Twi'lek blue, you know, blue Twi'lek Jedi mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones. And... Uh, uh, who plays her actually is George's one of his production assistants or something on set um, is 
the actress for Ayla Secura and, and stuff. But um, he saw her on the cover of a comic book at one point and decided he liked that. And it's like, yeah, let's just make that a Jedi character. It was something like that. It was like that or... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. And then he was uh, so the happy rumor, about it. He, he tried to kill her off three times. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the rumor is that Darth Talon, who's also a, like a Twi'lek Sith character, yeah. was supposed to be in his sequel trilogy with Darth Maul. But of course, that's not really confirmed, but that's kind of the general consensus of yeah, at least i don't think it's confirmed i'm gonna need to relook over that There's information but rumors floating around now that that uh she's gonna show up in, in like mandalorian season three or something well that'd be pretty nuts yeah yeah because i think yeah. they wanted that i can't remember where the basis of this rumor is but i think the main concept is someone with a lightsaber to fight against ahsoka that would kind of make sense because there's nobody right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who would train her, though. Yeah, I mean, that's where it gets very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so Darksaber, um, long history. Uh, this thing, the Darksaber. Oh, I did have one other thing I wanted to bring up oh, about the Darksaber. Because sure. uh, I looked, read it a little bit about it here. And from what we heard, if this is all the canon, where is it established that if you have the dark saber, then you're Mandalore? In the chat here, they the video the recording said that Sabine could use it to unite the like a clan, a single clan, to get back together. Yeah. But when we watch Mandalorian season two, it seems like if you have it, you are Mandalore. Yeah. So. Um- so in the Clone Wars, that was when they first in- introduced the idea, the holder of the Darksaber and the conqueror of the owner of the Darksaber gets the right to rule Mandalore. That's what causes the division in Death Watch, where Bo-Katan, who served the Vizsla clan at the time, Death Watch being, that is, pre-Vizsla dies at the hands of Maul during the Clone Wars. And then she kind of rebels and says, no, like no outsider will ever rule Mandalore. And she hates the fact that a non-Mandalorian just killed the Mandalorian who owns the Darksaber and now is legally able to rule the planet. So she Mm -hmm. rebels, splitting and dividing Death Watch in two. So half the Death Watch are with her and a half are with or well, a section of Death Watch is with her and the rest are with Pre Vizsla, right? So that's what leads to the finale of the Clone Wars that we saw with Captain Rex and Ahsoka helping Bo-Katan's group reclaim Mandalore because those are the ones that didn't believe that Maul should have the right to even try to get that in the the right in the first place. Mm -hmm. So the okay. idea was introduced there. Uh, the history of that idea, though, comes from Tar Vizsla being the very first ever Mandalorian to become a Jedi. And as far as we know, probably still the only one to become a Jedi because we know that a big event happened in the EU. So it's well, it's kind of referred to in canon, but the details are in the EU. But basically in canon, it's established there is a Mandalorian Jedi war that happens called the Mandalorian Jedi Wars. And uh, it's basically a series of wars fought between the Jedi and the Mandalorians and, you yeah. know, their ancient enemies that's established in the Mandalorian show as yeah, well, that Mandalorians the, and Jedi never basis, get along. The basis of the KOTOR game, the first one. So the, that yeah. game takes place immediately after that war has just ended as Revan was 
the Jedi right. who right. led the Jedi against the Mandalorians. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, the final war between both groups uh, resulted in the devastation of Mandalore. And in the Clone Wars, when we actually see Mandalore and in Star Wars Rebels, we see it as well. Uh, we see kind of a desolate white planet and uh, the location that most of the action takes place on in the finale, as well as most of the show is uh, in like this sphere, uh, like a bubble, which is an entry to kind of going lower into the planet where they've hollowed out the planet, I guess, and made uh, a city under there called Sindari city, which is the capital of Mandalore. And, uh, and because the whole surface is decimated, it was basically just bombarded by Republic yeah. gunships. Yeah. That and was, just and it was, was Revan's call to do it. that. Yeah. So like they questionable decision on behalf of the Jedi, but yeah, um, but yeah Mandalore, yeah, they glassed the planet like like it's it's un- uninhabitable unless you really dig deep. But Mandalorians being very faithful people to their homeworld decide to make do with what they got left and still thrive there, you know, in different ways on in these bubble cities. Yeah. And so, uh, they also live on the moon, if not mistaken. The moon yeah, they, they have the yeah, the moons around uh, around Mandalore also inhabited. Yeah. And those are relatively unscathed because uh, Obi-Wan goes to one of those moons in the Clone Wars when he sees Pre Vizsla, the prime minister, who's mm-hmm. the, you know, the prime minister of that moon. And uh, and he visits there. So we actually see it as viewers as well, what those moons look like. And they're fine. So it's just the home planet that's that's ruined. But uh, so I guess we can we kind of brushed over the the history of Tar Vizsla there. Yeah, there's not a lot more to it, really. No, no, not really. And and you know, and that being said, there's there's almost more history given about the dark if anything else. Let's let's take a listen to another clip from Star Wars: The Clone Wars when Obi Wan fights Pre Vizsla for the first time. For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now, that woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. Defend her, if you will. This lightsaber was stolen from your Jedi temple by my ancestors during the fall of the Old Republic. Since then, many Jedi have died upon its blade. Prepare yourself to join them. Okay, so whoever reclaimed the Darksaber from the Jedi Temple obviously had means to use it against the Jedi while the Mandalorians were fighting the Jedi. So I'm assuming Tar Vizsla died before the Mandalorian Jedi Wars. Then someone from the Vizsla clan stole it during the the fall of the Old Republic. And after that time period passed, the Mandalorian leader, which wielded the Darksaber, used it as the primary weapon of their choice to lead the Mandalorians and against the Jedi. So also between that timeline then of when they stole the, the Darksaber from the like the Jedi archives or whatever, and when we we see it, I guess, in Clone Wars, somewhere along that line, it becomes, I guess, identified as if you have the Darksaber, then you're the ruler. Because obviously when it was first created, that wasn't the intent. It was only after no, it was stolen. Exactly. Yeah. It's just because if you think about it, it's just it's just some guy who made a lightsaber and it's an awesome lightsaber. But, you know, it's just some guy who made a lightsaber and he just happens to be Mandalorian. When that guy dies, the Jedi are like, oh, well, 
well, let's just keep the lightsaber here with all the other fallen Jedi's lightsabers, you know, we'll just in the wherever they keep them. And uh, then boom, Temple gets invaded. Pre Vizsla's or well, the Vizsla house clan is part of that invasion. They steal the lightsaber back, knowing that it's rightfully one of their own creations. Uh, the leader of that clan probably just take takes possession of that thing. And to the Vizsla clan, that is now a sign of of leadership. And out of the Vizsla clan, much later on, of course, you get the Death Watch clan coming out of that, which also look to the Darksaber for leadership. Um, additionally to that, some point, like you say, along those thousand years, the Vizsla clan must have been a very important clan within the Mandalorian circles because for them to then influence other clans to look at the their leader for yeah, that's leadership. That's kind of what I'm thinking right now, too. Yeah. Like, it's there, like, there's, there's got to be a jump like, there because yeah. like, you get other clans now to rally behind this guy because he has a specific right. weapon, which seems like a bit of a stretch to me, but. <laughs> It's like, a, it's like, I think a Game of Thrones in this sense where you have the main big house family is like you have the Starks and the Lannisters and everything, right? The Targaryens. And then you have like the smaller families that kind of, they're like allies and they have a lot of history with the main house families. And it's because they're like, that's like the cousin family that has something loose connections with that main family but they're not really part of that family of their own flag and logo and everything that's kind of like what i think of cultures they're more like tribes yeah so they're they're more like tribes but like the way i think of it is there's the Vizsla clan which is like you know like or in harry potter's modern in harry potter tongue you might call them like the the uh, the 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 full blood like the true wizard full bloods right like uh like the malfoy family right you know 100 percent pure blood wizard right uh so that's kind of like the vizsla clan like if you're a vizsla you're probably and most likely 100 percent mandalorian and look at the dark saber as like the end all be all whoever holds this shall rule me and the planet that i call home right uh but whereas if you're part like of another clan hmm. you may or may not look at it that way depending on you, how you things see are them, yeah it's like competition or but right because yeah you, they're obviously a much bigger house so yeah they're always you're boring. just kind of sucked into it yeah yeah exactly but obviously so, there's going to be people without the name Vizsla who fight for clan Vizsla, right so right yeah, yeah, and 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 you know and Bo-Katan is a great example of that um, and speaking of that it's important to remember that when we do, when we are introduced to the dark saber in the Clone Wars, Mandalore is not being ruled by someone who wields the dark saber at this point in time. So obviously, in that thousand years, yes, the 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 uh, the official Mandalorian perspective upon the Vizsla leader or whoever has the dark saber is like the leader of Mandalore. That perspective shifted. Eventually, and when Satine, the Duchess of Mandalore, came into, you know, rulership of the planet, that whole mentality was out the window. So I'm not really sure when that happened or when the cutoff was that the leader of Mandalore wields the Darksaber because Satine didn't have the Darksaber. Pre Vizsla had it that entire time. So either it's his father or his, his like grand great grandfather or whatever, like at some point 
the rulership changed, the leader of the Dark Saber no longer became the leader of Mandalore. But then with the whole shift in the Clone Wars that happened, that mentality of Death Watches, like their whole goal to like bring back the original Mandalore mentality and their belief system, like that whole thing came back. And then so did the respect for the Darksaber, if that makes any sense. I mean, it does on paper, but if you think about the peoples and who the people follow, it's very convoluted. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot to follow. All you yeah. need to bow down to the Darksaber, whoever, whoever wields it. Okay, now that doesn't matter anymore. We're going to just follow this woman who's a pacifist. Okay, now yeah. we're going back to the Darksaber idea again. That was bad. Let's go back to the Darksaber thing. I think it's like it's like what? one of those things that I mean, this is what's so interesting about Star Wars and George Lucas and his political system that he just thinks of. And be, because like if you think about it, it's like, man, you watch something like Clone Wars, which is I mean, in reality, it's geared for younger viewers. Right. Like it's like it's intended to be kind of like a preteen show, like teenagers, obviously not R rated like most of the great shows these days. It's, you know, Star Wars is made for kids. Right. Um, so. If you think about it, though, like it's it's so rooted in our reality in a lot of ways. And and that's where Star Wars is so authentic to so many of us hardcore fans, because, you know, when when you root something in something that's real, it's just it's just more viable, more believable. And their political system is a real working political system, right? Like you've got kings and queens on some planets and other planets you have uh a, a prime minister or a duchess or a just a senator or something like that a representative right like you have all these different figures within the republic and then the separatists you know the confederacy of independent systems and all these other things right so amongst this political chaos right what we take from way back in star wars history where you had you know this mandalorian jedi who was a jedi and not the leader of the Mandalorians, at some point they had a different political system with a different ruler, right? War breaks out, this Jedi's long gone, war breaks out and whoever's invading the temple decides this is ours again, part of the Vizsla clan. Then at some point you have this shift of, whoa, everyone in the Vizsla clan is looking to this one guy for leadership and everything and they're the dominating clan and you know maybe he is a good ruler. Let's just kind of let them you know, rule stuff. And then maybe they evolve into the leader of Mandalore for X amount of hundreds of years. That system falls away eventually, you know, like how we're, we're living in Canada. Like we don't really look at the queen of England as our literal queen, like they do yeah, in England. Really and she, yeah. Like the monarch is, it's a weird, complicated thing, right? Like she's on our coins and yes, she's our queen, but you know, do we, look at her as a political figure in our system not not really so it's one of those weird things where it's like oh the leader of the dark saber at this point in time satine's ruling so for a while now it's been the fact that the dark saber has kind of been forgotten about and no one really cares about whoever wields it anymore um but when previously comes back do you remember that big political push that he has with the people he has to stage death watch yeah, to look like heroes that's right. Yeah, and he hires like he makes that shadow collective group with all the other crime syndicates, yeah, and they Darth Maul goes and he collects all of the crime syndicates in like yeah, twenty four hours. That's right. Yeah, and it's actually Maul's plan that he's using Pre Vizsla for, but 
in pre Vizsla's mind, it's kind of the opposite way. Like, so yeah. anyway, they're both it's just complicated. Each other. Yeah. They're all just using each other for stuff like villains do. Uh, but pre Vizsla's goal is to uh, like his goal from the beginning of the show is to become the leader of Mandalore and keep it bring that way. Right. The old ways. Yeah. Yeah. Bring back the old ways. Right. That's what death watch stands for. And uh, he goes about it in a very terrorist kind of way. Um, and a non like a not a political kind of way but he's actually such a great character when you think about it because this is a guy who wants to bring back the old ways and he's kind of like doing a palpatine thing where he's kind of working behind the scenes to make sure that his influence is in that system already as the prime minister of one of the moons of mandalore so he's already whispering in duchess's ear and all that stuff right he's kind of like making his side deals with dooku and everything it's also interesting because Dave Filoni kind of reversed it because people know Mandalorians and like Mandalorians as these warriors, these, yeah. like these warrior, these warrior clans with this badass armor. And he started with yeah. them as pacifists. So in the new canon, they, we met them as pacifists. I mean, everyone really upset and angry about this. <laughs> yeah, and that's he brought right. In the villain, the villain to bring back the old ways of the warrior ways. Yeah, the warrior ways. Yeah, the bad guys fighting for what the fans want. (laughs) It actually makes a lot of sense, though, because when you watch the prequels, the Mandalorian culture and the group in general, aside from Jango Fett and Boba and stuff that make their appearance in Attack of the Clones, like aside from that, there's no mention of the Mandalorians at all in in the Star Wars films. It's all in supplement material right Mm -hmm. so when george did the movies he wasn't really thinking of that he wasn't caring about that he didn't really want anything you know he's orchestrating this whole thing this whole war between two factions you know in in, until you really get into the tv show and the clone wars who had time to explain that the films didn't have the time of day to get into oh here's another group that's also trying to do their own thing over here and whatever right like we don't have time for that so that's why Clone Wars is so awesome because like it gets into all these other stories and able's to like is able to flesh out this amazing planet and history and everything like that. So, yeah, like you say like I guess there had to be it had to have been some sort of arc for that plot and to bring those that those characters and that planet and that history into the canon. It's like, okay, well, if this is an a race of people that normally war against the Jedi, how are we supposed to work that into this whole Clone Wars era plot line and, and where does it fit, right? And how do we make that happen again? Yeah. And how, how do we you make bring fans happy? Yeah. More like depth to a race of people that are just like mercenaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, obviously, yeah, I guess the natural thing to do was tear them down and build them up again. And, and, and that seems to be a thing with any character that's kind of been overdeveloped at some point, they, they start fresh, they scrap what they did in, in the story and then they rebuild that character back up again. And one more lesson to learn kind of thing or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, with, with the Mandalorians, like it was weird when you first kind of saw, Oh, it's a pacifist planet. Now that's totally not what I remember them to be in the expanded universe stuff. Yeah. When I first heard that, I felt like it was, someone who just didn't understand what Mandalorians <laughs> were supposed to be. They're just like spitting in, on fans. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know who Dave Filoni was at the time. I didn't look into any of this. And it was very early on in the series. I was like, 
what is this garbage? Like, why are they wrecking this? I remember us having a conversation like that years yeah, ago. And because, like, I think you told me about it. And the only thing I had seen was the animated movie for the beginning of the series. <laughs> and it was so bad. And then you tell me that they ruined Mandalorians. Like, what, what are they doing with this cartoon? They're just destroying everything. <laughs> yeah. Jabba has a kid. There's some <laughs> some weird little like alien girl who's now like following Anakin around with all these yeah. stupid comments. <laughs> and, and, then, and, and, now it, and then out of that show ended up being not only the best animated show I think I've ever seen, but out of that we've had so many good things come out of Clone Wars. I mean I mean Star Wars Rebels kind of came out of Clone Wars. Uh and obviously our live action shows we've been getting are directly influenced by clone wars and rebels now at this point in time uh even yeah, solo so it, even solo brought maul back in in his existing timeline of yes he's still alive at this point but a lot of people didn't watch the animated show so they had no idea that it was coming and i didn't know it was coming and i watched the movie i was like oh that that makes me really happy that they put him <laughs> in there because this works you know like this is this is perfect uh uh, but but yeah, yeah to, to bring in this giant group of people, this like Mandalorian race, this culture, this these legends, this history and everything like that to build it up like that. Uh, Clone Wars did a fantastic job for 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 bringing that into the continue uh, continuity that we're familiar with. Um, yeah, it did a good so, job. I have to say it came a long ways. I now trust Dave Filoni quite a lot. When I first yeah. watched that early stuff, though, I was, I don't know. <laughs> they pulled it off. There's actually an interesting quote here from Dave Filoni, uh, which uh, I'll just read real quick. He says, the Mandalorian Jedi war that I have in my mind is very much derived from the oldest style of thinking of Mandalorians, which was that their weapons, their arsenal, their technology had a massive increase once they collided with the Jedi and found these force wielding people that had abilities they didn't understand. Their armor is a reaction to the Jedi. And I've always believed that because that seemed to be something that would be in the DNA of a Joe Johnson, uh, of the Joe Johnson designs of them as super commandos, their arsenal was very much designed to combat Jedi. For example, I wouldn't know the details of the conflict that had, uh, that the fans have referred to. I played the video games though, so I'm aware of it in the games and I like a, lo a lot of the things in there. So when there are all these things in common and there's just stuff people know, I think, well, why don't we use that? Uh, and that's why we love Dave. He, he goes to where fans love things the most and digs deeper. But um, I also want to point out that the Joe Johnson designs of Super Commandos were referring to, uh, we talked about the legacy of Boba Fett not long ago with, with um, uh, Jessica, a member of the Boba Fett fan club. And uh, we brought up in that episode that uh, that the original design for Boba Fett, which is technically the first idea of what a Mandalorian would look like eventually, um, was intended to be an Imperial Super Commando, which is like a, a special version of a Stormtrooper and designed to combat Jedi like Luke Skywalker or, you know, the heroes of the rebellion. And uh, eventually evolved into a cool looking bounty hunter and that evolved into something else, into something else. And now we have the an entire planet race. race of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So uh, being that original, original design, like Dave just digs right to the root and understands why this is a thing. Right. And, and like 
why that eventually evolved into this, which is why Mandalorians wear armor, right? That's made of metal, metal that can combat a lightsaber that no one else in the galaxy can forge or figure out because it's a thing that's lasted for thousands of years at this point. And, you know, all this history just kind of builds layer upon layer upon layer. And it's really going to be interesting to see how the Mandalorian show continues this legacy of Tar Vizsla and the Darksaber and the mentality of the right to rule Mandalore, all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. Do you awesome. think they're going to get into his character? Because we basically read his blurb. There's not a lot to it at this point. He's just kind of referenced yeah. a bit. But that's honestly a character that should be fleshed out at some point. It's a really neat concept. It is a neat concept. And and the fact that this, so this dark saber, which almost like it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the one ring, right? Like it's like, it wasn't, well, well, maybe it's not like the one ring, but okay. This lightsaber was designed with good intentions because Tar Vizsla was a Jedi. And as we know, the Jedi to be protagonists most of the time for most of Star Wars, you know, Tar Vizsla became, was a force sensitive human who was a Mandalorian and was um, inducted into the Jedi Order from a young age, became a Jedi, grew up as a Jedi, died as a Jedi. And his lightsaber was made to be his lightsaber. Like that's his, it's a Jedi weapon, right? So at what point did that become almost like a source of corruption within the Mandalorians as what then became protagonists of the story when they invaded the Jedi temple, stole it back. It became their uh, icon of leadership in a way, which is kind of ironic because it's designed to be a Jedi's weapon, which is supposed to be a positive person to look up to. And these Mandalorians come in and they look up to their own, of course, but to the rest of the galaxy, they see Jedi as the, the enemy. Yeah, they see Jedi as the enemy and they take this iconic Jedi weapon and turn it into something else and they turn it into their own thing. And and because it's got its own look and everything, it's it it works for the purpose of doing so in, in the story. But um, I've always found that kind of interesting how they took something that's meant to be this heroic weapon, much like how the Sith use the same weapon as well, but it's red, you know, the color inflicts the side of the force that they use in a way right like you associate you begin to associate red with darkness right yeah and i've been sitting here questioning that exact thing so jedi have bright colors if he's a jedi why is it black and how did it how did that happen because traditionally it was crystals you would find crystals the crystals are just as colors so you could say it's a rare crystal he found but that's not the case anymore. Now it's from the bonding of the Jedi and the crystal. So what yeah. happened? So, okay, this is not canon or legends or anything. I'm just kind of throwing a theory out there. The crystal inside the Darksaber could be unique to Mandalore itself, in which is a place that Jedi don't really go um, ever. You know, like even in the Clone Wars, the relationship between Mandalore and the Republic is very strained. Like the Duchess wants to trust the Republic and they're kind of part of the Republic, but at the same time, they're also kind of not because she doesn't want the Jedi to interfere in their internal affairs. That's what she calls them, right? So my theory is that whatever is inside the Darksaber is probably a resource found on Mandalore 
that's very hard to come by, obviously, especially after the planet's been scathed from this bombarding, right? So it might not be something you can find anymore. But uh, but my theory is that at the time of Tar Vizsla's existence, before the Mandalorian Jedi Wars, that he went back to his home planet when it came time to make a lightsaber and he found a crystal on his home planet and used that. And being the first and only Mandalorian Jedi kind of makes sense. Planet gets destroyed. That resource is no longer available. Done. No more Darksaber existing. No more crystals can be found to make it again. That's my theory. Okay. It's pretty good theory. (laughs) We're still going back to the EU concept of there's different kinds of crystals. Yeah. And in the canon, they have introduced that idea um, a little bit. So, like, depending on planets, because we know there's different planets with crystals of kyber crystals. Yes. So, so in the in the movies, obviously, it's just you know, like like what George says, like lights over the green or lights over the blue. But you know, Sam, you're gonna have a purple one. (laughs) But uh, on Ilum, like you know, now we know from Jedi Fallen Order, the campaign, and that, as well as Clone Wars, and you know, now there's white lightsabers. Now there's neon green now there's whatever like there's like a whole array of colors now and and the high republic introduced this as well like there's now a lot more familiarity with the fact that a lightsaber could be any color so the color is really kind of aside from the fact that red ones are the ones that have to be bled by a force user the weird kind of abstract glow of the dark saber and the shape and the glistening and the sound and everything like that it's all just different and that's why I think maybe maybe it's not a kyber crystal necessarily, which is in Sith and Jedi's lightsabers. It's kyber crystals, a kyber crystal, right? But like what you're saying with the EU idea, uh, you're talking about a concept that was introduced in the KOTOR games where you could use other stuff to be a lightsaber core. Is that right? Well, in those games, you can modify your lightsaber with different parts. So you you always have a kyber crystal as the source, but then you can modify it with different things. You use crate dragon pearls. You can use grab ores, which is like a a type of metal. And there's different crystals and stuff as well. And they all have different effects on the blade is the idea. But it's because it's an RPG, right? So you want to do modifications. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. So... I guess the idea of having like a crate dragon pearl in the lightsaber in the EU like that, like it's, it's a concept that's like, okay, well, but that still had a kyber crystal in there, right? In, in KOTOR games. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only section of my theory that really doesn't hold up too well is maybe this is the first ever lightsaber that doesn't have a kyber crystal, but what if, I don't know. It's it, but yeah, but like, what if the lightsaber is partially constructed with Beskar, and that's the effect it has on the crystal? The hilt. Oh, I can see the hilt being made of Beskar, hundred percent. And maybe um, because Beskar is known to stop lightsaber blades, it has this weird effect on it. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's a, a yeah. It has a it has kind of like a flat. nice ring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel yeah. Um, 
And maybe like maybe that's why like the so the sound that it makes is like a little more high, glistening, like high pitch. Like that's mm-hmm. yeah. So, it is. I don't know. Like I know that like when the lightsaber struck Dinjarin's Beskar armor, it made like a very unique sound as well. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe that's where that comes into play. Um, I'm just spitballing here, but yeah, I, I, it's possible that. So it's ironic that we're talking about this character who was the first Mandalorian Jedi. And he makes this dark saber, which then later becomes an icon to the Mandalorian culture. Now we're watching a show in the timeline, which takes place many, many hundreds, you know, if over thousands. a thousand years later, mm-hmm. thousands of years later. Yeah. And now we're looking at a show in which the story goes that a bounty hunter who uh, he doesn't really care about the dark saber because he's not really part of that culture necessarily we had this discussion in the last episode when yeah. we were talking about Boba Fett, how uh, Din Djarin, even though he's a Mandalorian, he's not like a Mandalorian, Mandalorian, um, different belief system because he's like a splinter cell of a the Death Watch or the, the Watch, I guess. Yeah, just a, a splinter cell of Mandalorian culture that decided to do its own thing at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we take a Mandalorian show who's now taking the Darksaber and putting it into the hands again of a Mandalorian who, I guess, could he rule Mandalore? Could he not kind of thing? Well, it's, that's it's up to find out. I guess, yeah. And here's the so, other interesting thing. Mm-hmm. The Ahsoka show just cast their Sabine Wren actress for the live action Ahsoka show that's going to tie into this. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to tie into Mandalorian season three as well as Book of Boba Fett. Ahsoka's that third show that takes place at the same time. And they've cast their live action version of Sabine Wren, which we know from Star Wars Rebels held and trained with the Darksaber before before at some point uh, she uh, gave it to Bo-Katan to Mm -hmm. lead Mandalore with. And then at some point between the shows and the movies, uh, Moff Gideon comes in with the Empire, takes it from her or somebody because he ends up with it. And then now that that situation is all resolved, Din Djarin wins it by besting him in a fight. Now he's got it and Bo-Katan doesn't want to take it from him because of her belief system. But he doesn't really care about that. So it's going to be interesting first off to see what happens there. But secondly, Sabine is back. Like, you know, Sabine's back. Maybe she won't have a problem taking it from Din Djarin and using this lightsaber to rule Mandalore. If she's so that, up okay. for it. <laughs> Who do you want to be Mandalore then? Sabine, Bo-Katan, or uh, Din Djarin? That's the thing. Like, I think like in talking about the evolution of this lightsaber, this, these characters, this culture, even though Din Djarin isn't part of the original Death Watch slash Mandalore warrior belief system, he, you know, he is... A, a variation of a Mandalorian and his mentality of, you know, there, there's not, um, there's a purpose as to Grogu being in the show, right? Not just to look cute and cuddly and have this little companion that he's got to, you know, look after, you know, th- there's a reason why Grogu is what he is. And there's a reason mm-hmm. why he's a force user. There's also a reason why him helping Din Djarin take on the uh, the Mudhorn creature and being inducted into his clan 
they become a two person clan at that point. Right. And, um, uh, yeah. And, and so we're now looking at the same character who's been taken away by Luke Skywalker to potentially be trained as a Jedi and a character who was trained by the Jedi before, before the Clone Wars went down before the Jedi purge. So we're looking at a character again, who comes from Jedi roots who also has an influence on this character's life that now wields the Darksaber. And he's got a large amount of respect for Force users, obviously. Having talked with Ahsoka, helped her with something, given Grogu up to Luke. And, and was saved by Luke. Taken him to Tython and witnessing all the weird things there and saved by Luke Skywalker and everything. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who's basically an ally to the Jedi, who's also a Mandalorian, very much like Sabine. And Sabine, as we know, doesn't want the right to rule Mandalore. Like she doesn't, she gave it up to Bo-Katan, who at the time had no problem taking it from Sabine for no reason, but I guess just maybe the circumstances. Uh, and, you know, now we're looking at this potential character, this character who's going to come back, but, you know, we're looking at this potential character who currently wields the Darksaber that could rule this planet. And I'm into it. You know, like, I think... You know, even the, even though he's not part of the original Mandalore race and everything, you know, the perspective of Mandalore Mandalorians fighting Jedi and everything, you know, that obviously has been changing. And Bo-Katan herself allied with the Jedi in the end of the Clone yeah. Wars. So and the rebels, the, let's also yeah, forget, and the it, last big fight was against the Empire. Right. Yeah. The Mandalorians teamed up with the only remaining jedi <laughs> yeah ezra and yeah yeah and Kanan. yeah so yeah, i'm not Kanan. sure if ahsoka they worked with ahsoka anyway so it doesn't matter if she was yeah there or not. yeah bo katan's worked with ahsoka before so yeah i mean like it's it's interesting that you know talking about this history of this lightsaber that's gone through the motions like now we're looking at a potential leader that is uh, not only an ally to the Jedi and can unite Mandalorians with, you know, the Jedi kind of thing, uh, but that that would just be awesome, right? Like, it would be really cool to, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but like seeing Din Djarin in that shiny metal Beskar armor mm -hmm. holding the Darksaber while it was on and everything, it's pretty it was badass. awesome. It was so yeah. cool. And I was like, this Space is... Knight. Yeah, like Space Knight. Like this is where Star Wars thrives in the space fantasy genre right here. Like, you know, we're looking at a knight in shining armor wielding a sword. I know, right? It's such a basic concept, but it's also so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I agree. I feel like Din Djarin's kind of being groomed to take that position just because now he can unite all the different clans because he's kind of like the outsider is now getting to know that his original upbringing which seems like they might follow the original mandalorian culture at least from what we know from the eu because they because they've been off kind of in their own cell and they've kind of been outside of all this other stuff that's been happening like they seem yeah. like they had nothing to do with, like when uh, the Mandalorians when they were pe uh, at peace or whatever, they're all pacifists. It he wasn't part of Death Watch, and Death Watch was kind of villainous. So, right. 
It's a good question. But I don't know. I think bo going to fight him for it because I don't think she's willing to to uh, bend a knee to him yet. He's going to have to prove himself more, I think. Yeah. And with Sabine coming into it, like I'm curious how that's going to change the dynamic because she's obviously going to side with Bo-Katan because she has no idea who Din Djarin is. Right. And she is part of the Mandalorian culture that Bo-Katan, the same one that Bo-Katan is part of. Mm-hmm. Kind of the main one, the one, the one that we're familiar with from the animated shows. Uh, so yeah, it's it's true. Like, and Din Djarin being part of that Splinter Cell doesn't really care about the dark series. Like, oh, you can have it, and you know, and and yet, Bo Katan's perspective of it is it has to be earned. And yeah. I don't know. I think the reason but why I she took it from why. Sabine in the first place because she found it in a cave. <laughs> so yeah. it's like okay, well, it didn't need to be one in the first place. Let's mm-hmm. just be okay with that. Um, that's just how I look at it but uh yeah it it is kind of an interesting interesting concept that we could see unfold and we had brought this up before talking with bryce as well that why can't dinjar and bokatan just have a duel and not to the death it's like a sparring sparring yeah duel. i yeah and that's the thing like we could see something like that happen just to quickly resolve the situation uh i don't think this I don't think this thing is going to, well, okay. So it could, it could throw us a curveball, and then going forward in season three of Mandalorian, we're looking at Bo-Katan and her owls coming after Din Djarin as enemies to get the dark saber to, you know, have to kill him to earn the thing. And, but I don't see that happening. Like I, I could, I could maybe see her, I don't know, being okay with him having the dark saber and yeah i could see that being part of her story arc over the next season yeah yeah i could see I, and the fact that her sister never looked at the dark saber as the right to rule man like she was the duchess of mandalore and didn't have it so obviously she didn't care um so she also was trying to get away from tradition as much as possible yeah as she was yeah and 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 Bo-Katan, by the end of the Clone Wars, says, I never understood my my sister's... Fo-. Like, she still doesn't get it. By the end of the show, even after fighting back to get Mandalore, she still doesn't understand Satine's outlook on the rulership of their home planet because it's not based in their roots as warriors. But if you dig back even further behind the fact that they're warriors with the Jedi, or enemies with the Jedi at least, you know, Tar Vizsla is a Mandalorian who became a Jedi and that's his lightsaber. So like, you know, you go back far enough and you eventually hit peace. Just one word, plain and simple. <laughs> and, you know, the the idea that someone holding the darksaber that doesn't necessarily worship this thing, but is able to use it and he's a good leader and he has good relations with the Jedi. You know, I can dig it. Like I, I can get into that. And maybe along the way, along his journey, maybe he'll discover more about his own culture that he didn't know before. Because season two really threw us that, again, that curveball was like, oh, you're actually part of a splinter group called The Watch, not necessarily the actual Mandalorians. So, or at least one of the big houses of the main clans of Mandalore that look at the Darksaber as, you know. Yeah, there's definitely more more to learn in regards to that. And I'm pretty curious to see that, find out he... It's funny because yeah. I think we talked about this a bit last week, but 
the idea of the watch is basically an in-universe cult that holds the original Boba Fett concept. <laughs> yeah, and it's also man with no face. <laughs> it's also kind of a way to oh, this is the way you know. It's also kind of a way for them to live Which out is fans, their, right? Yeah, That's fans talking <laughs> That's about fans, how Django. Yeah. You can't see Django's face. You're like Boba. No. We didn't want to know. That is the way. We need to. <laughs> He needs to be anonymous. Yeah, it's just the way of the fans. Yeah. So uh, the way, though, is kind of their it's it's a different way of being Mandalorian for sure. But I can see it being kind of a group that spun off of maybe what the Death Watch believed at one point, but then decided to do their own thing. And they have their own set of of outlooks on the way that Mandalorian culture should be, right? So unlike the Vizsla clan and by extension, other clans that looked at the leader of Mandalore to have the Darksaber at certain points in history, the watch doesn't care about any of that. And it's not even something Din Djarin even really knows about. Uh, and, you know, unlike Mandalorians that we're familiar with, like Bo-Katan and Satine, or sorry, Sabine and stuff, well, even Satine, who doesn't even wear Mandalorian armor, uh, like he, he's got the whole thing of like, yeah, no one can see my face, always wearing the armor. You never see him in anything else. It's like it was shameful for him to put on that uh, that stormtrooper costume, right? The stormtrooper outfit. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like we're looking at a, a very different set of outlooks on life. And Bill Burr's character, um, always forget his name. Uh, <laughs> Mayfield. Mayfield. Thank you. He he said he questions those uh, morals, and morals yeah. and yeah, and 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 he those, really uh, puts them puts them to the test, right? Cultural like norms, I guess. Yeah, cultural norms. Yeah, and he really kind of puts his belief system to the test. He's like, you know, he, he kind of like makes Dinjarn think about why he keeps his helmet on all the time and everything, and mm-hmm. when it really comes down to what he needs to do he ends up taking the helmet off and does the facial scanner thing so he can get the information to then later save Grogu, right? So, like, eventually he's got his breaking them. point. I still think they're going to do something with that because the Empire has his face scanned. So that means yeah. at some point they're going to release it and he's going to be... I think the other Mandalorians are going to come after him from his cult, like the Watch. I bet you that's yeah, after maybe. season three. I still maybe. think that... So- how could they do that and then not do anything? So it's got it's to go also, somewhere. It's a possibility that maybe the Darksaber will be used in his hands as a leadership for the Watch. And then Din Djarin is the one to introduce new outlooks on their 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 way, right? Uh, maybe this he's the one to the like way. change them. Yeah, this is now the way. This is how I'm doing running the show, right? This uh, is the new way. Plus, he's got the attention of... Bo-Katan's version of Mandalorians, which look at the Darksaber as the right to rule. So, you know, he's got both groups' attention. Mm-hmm. He's the perfect candidate, honestly, like if you ask me. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean... Interesting for, to see, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and obviously this weapon coming from, again, a character who became a Jedi first and foremost is... It's a very interesting, interesting must, path. This, 
the Jedi Mandalorian, though, Tar Vizsla, he must have held some sort of relationship with the Mandalorians, though, or else they never would have. They thought he just vanished and they never saw him again, right? But they knew that he had a lightsaber. They knew where it was. They knew like that all this existed. So there also must be a storyline there where he probably maybe he went back to Mandalore as like some sort of ambassador, trying to make peace between them. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, no, it's it's the, that's a possibility. I mean, we're talking about a timeline in which even the Jedi's code was probably a lot different back then as well. Uh, you know, being over a thousand years or more, you know, before Is that Phantom Menace. The, the timeline we are right now in the High Republic. Is that a thousand years? No, no. A uh, High Republic is very young. It's it's only about two hundred years before Phantom Menace. Okay. I keep thinking so it's like it's way farther. after. No, uh, it, it's like the Mandalorian Wars. I believe is even it's before Old Republic times. It's it goes back that far. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if you're thinking that the dark saber rule of mandalore if that's going to have any influence on the boba fett series no i i mean i don't i don't think so but where where boba's trajectory is headed with taking over of jabba it's possible that him becoming his own crime boss and stuff right mm-hmm. could in fact bring repercussions to to Jin, din jaren right who's who's a mercenary bounty hunter uh, it could bring repercussions to the circles that they share uh, it, as common common bounty hunters go, right? And, and so, yeah, like, like we're looking at a show about a bounty hunter and a show about a, a, another bounty hunter who's no longer a bounty hunter and he's kind of moving up in the world. So we're moving down in the underworld. <laughs> this is a total, total random idea that's probably never going to happen. And I say it's a very small chance. What if Book of Boba Fett Boba becomes a crime lord, and then he gets in the way of Din Djarin and Mandalorian, and, he, and Boba becomes a villain in The Mandalorian Season 3 as a crime boss. That is a possibility. I mean, well, the fact that I mean, crime bosses are the ones that employ bounty hunters in the first place, so... Yeah, yeah but Din Djarin's on a, like a righteous kind of quest right now, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean... Yeah. He, Technically, he finished the main quest. He handed over Grogu, but now he's probably going to do this whole Mandalorian thing. Yeah, and here's actually yeah, and, and you know to build on top of that, this whole Mandalorian thing that you reference as maybe the next quest that he goes on could mm-hmm. potentially be leading to a certain point in which the Jedi slash the New Republic plus Din Djarin and the Mandalorians create a formidable army against Thrawn Thrawn and his sixth fleet or seventh fleet or whatever he calls his. I could totally see that happening. Do you think they'll work with Boba in that case? Here's the thing that Rangers of the new Republic show has now officially been canceled. So the headlines have been out. Uh, It was only about an episode or two ago that we were talking about this. And, you know, at the time it was unconfirmed. It was just, as I think you mentioned, it was just off the production schedule because I said it was canceled. Then you said, well, technically, it's not officially canceled yet. Yeah, I heard it was shelved. A, a, week, I, a week went by and they yeah. officially canceled it now. So now we can officially say it's officially canceled. But that's, uh, that's a shame. It was such a cool concept. It, it is. Yeah, it is a shame. 
the plot line of that show would have likely gotten into that territory of of oh the empire's out there we need to build resources we're a demilitarized uh republic right now or don't have much of one because the rebellion kind of now has to control the galaxy right like it's a huge yeah don't have the footprint yeah like they're like they can't fill that shoe literally because mm-hmm. that's what causes this thriving of the underworld to happen which is what yep. we're going to have in the book of boba so so um, in the eu and i think it's canon now as well if the the rebels start using star destroyers, but they modify them so they're like they fly like sideways, so they don't look like like star destroyers anymore. Uh, and I think that's can as well because they don't they don't have the production or anything to make their own ships, so they just use the Empire's production lines to make their a modified version of the Imperial stuff. Yeah, so it is canon now that um, th- what like they did there, yeah, right? uh, yes, yeah, Project uh, Something Hawk. It was introduced in the Star Wars Squadrons. Starhawk, uh, Star yes, is it Starhawk? Is that right? Is it that cheesy? <laughs> it's not Star Fox. I'm just Star Hawk. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is Project Starhawk. <laughs> How in the world did I get that? <laughs> Lucky guess. It's Robert Hawk. Oh man, that's funny. Uh, yeah, so Project Starhawk was introduced in Star Wars Squadrons, I believe, and uh, Project Starhawk, also known as the Starhawk Project, was a New Republic starship project to develop Starhawk class battleships, which were kind of a prototype thing. But the Starhawk class battleship was uh, was later used in the Galactic Civil War. Uh, it was produced at uh, the Nad the Nadiri dockyards. And uh, it, there was three variants. There was like a prototype. There was a Mark One and a Mark Two. You can definitely buy them in Star Wars X-wing models. I'm pretty sure you can buy at least one of them in that format. And uh, one of them participated in the Battle of Jakku, so they were mentioned in the Battlefront Two campaign. Um, and many years later, they were used by the Resistance as load lifters, and uh, then they were destroyed by by the. Uh, the supremacy, you know, the first order ship that eventually gets chopped up in half by the, you know, hyperspace trick or whatever. Uh, yeah. So that was, you know, that was, uh, uh they were also, uh, they showed up in the aftermath life debt book, the, the aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig, like, you know, they've been around for a little while and the whole thing kind of they're, they're made just after return of the Jedi. The fact that they were at Jakku means they were made around the same time as, you know, six months after return of the Jedi kind of thing. So very, uh, very early on about four to five years prior to when the Mandalorian takes place, which is, you know, and now book of Boba probably, probably six years. So yeah, we're looking at that about, about that time frame. But yeah. What did you, uh, what did you picture Rangers of the new Republic to be? I had kind of pictured it as like a, like one of those old school, week to week like undercover cop or whatever like maybe like a starsky and hutch kind of series yeah 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 i could see that happening i think the plot the underlying plot line of thrawn coming back and all that would have been worked in there somehow as well but the most important thing to take away from the cancellation of that show is that that underlying plot is not going away and it'll be worked into these other shows somehow in some form but yeah that that show would have been pretty cool to see 
And, you know, Thrawn might have a lot up his sleeve. He might have an army of dark troopers or something like that. We don't know. You know, maybe Moff yeah. Gideon was in cahoots with him or something like that. And and dark troopers are are insanely powerful. Like they're, they're lightsaber. Well, they, the lightsabers can take them, but they're blaster resistant and all that kind of stuff. Thick. Can they explain that? It's not Beskar. It's got to be like Cartosis no, or something, it's, right? It's something else. It's not Beskar because be lightsaber can then. cut through it. Okay. So like Luke was able to cut them down, but the blaster bolts that Din Djarin shot at them were just refracted right off of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're made of something that the Rebellion or slash New Republic is going to have a very, very hard time fighting against, and they're not armored up like Din Djarin is, and he barely took down one. So I think w- what we're looking at here is possibly a leadership of Din Djarin wielding the Darksaber with an army of Mandalorians behind him to help the New Republic fight off the Empire that's come back. That's what I think. I that's just a theory. Likely. Yeah, it's but, all yeah. going to come together, I think. Yeah. You're probably right on that. Yeah, I think it's all going to come together like that. But who knows? Going to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so because that means we're going to fall in line very closely with the the old EU Thrawn books. And so yeah. Thrawn in that series was working with a Jedi who – he was an ex-Jedi who survived the uh, like the Jedi Purge. But in over the, this long period of time, living on his own, this Jedi actually went insane. So he was mentally insane. Which Jedi was this? Jumper his name, but now he he clones Luke, and he has cloned oh. Luke as his apprentice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, like you're talking about the old guy, right? The old yeah, guy on the like cover. A, he's like a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he was like a like a crazy yeah like a force user that. Definitely wasn't a Jedi anymore. Uh, yeah, the the, the original heir to the Empire cover has him on the front with his hands spread out wide. Mm-hmm. Isn't yep, that is him. that right? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, is it uh, no? Yeah, um, Joris Kaboth. Yeah, Jor Joris Kaboth. Yeah, that's that's the name. Or uh, Joris Kabaoth or something like that. So it's something like that. I can't remember pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like a he's an old kind of mystic wizard Jedi who's gone insane, and so he kind of served as like the the Sith esque character. So right. it was Thrawn and him. So Thrawn was kind of like the leader of of the Empire, and he was working with. Kabath or whatever his name is. Right. Trying yes. to remember his purpose other than creating clone Luke, though. Because <laughs> Thrawn um, did all the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. Thrawn was like the military guy, and then I, I, well, Joris was like he 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 had a good presence for being like the Force enemy, right? For I think it's just something of... for Luke to fight. I think I think that was the main purpose of him. Like yeah. as far as like story points, I don't think he did a lot. So um, it says here that uh, well he had he had something to do with outbound flight as well, but uh, yeah he eventually he eventually falls to the uh, dark side of the force and attempts to kill Thrawn at one point, mm-hmm. and uh, he dies himself when a Chiss radiation bomb explodes 
on uh, the on the outbound flight, which I guess he's on, maybe. Um, Darth Sidious uh, would later use the recovered samples of Kaboth's DNA as a template for the insane clone known as Joris Kaboth. So he is basically a clone of a Jedi who once fought with the Republic during the Clone Wars who took place on the outbound flight project, uh, which ended up being destroyed. Uh, and, okay. uh, and his clone was not perfect, I, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And the clone became a guardian of Emperor Palpatine's private treasury, later worked with Grand Admiral Thrawn during his campaign. So there you go. So I have a feeling that he's probably not going to show up, but he could be a like a, a force wielding villain for Ahsoka to fight. So maybe it's possible. I mean, like we saw a character very similar to this in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Did you play through that whole game? No, I never got it to run my PC. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it just it kept crashing on me. So there was a character named Terran Malikos. And uh, Terran Malikos was a Jedi who served during the Jedi Order. And after the Purge, he escaped to Dathomir. And he ended up becoming a leader of the Knight Brothers by killing um, Viscus, who uh, Viscus is like, one of Darth Maul's brothers, and he was the leader or the the main guy at the time leading the the Knight Brothers, and then he influences the Dathomir the Dathomir Mirian Knight sister Mirin to learn her magic. So he combines the arts of the Force with Knight sister magic, and uh, creates a pretty interesting enemy for Cal Kestis to fight in the game, but. Um, yeah, he says uh, uh, when uh, when Grievous annihilated all the Night Sisters, um, I think he he, he kind of took advantage of the fact that Dathomir was kind of in ruins when he escaped there. Like nothing, there was mm-hmm. not much alive on the planet at the time. So it uh, makes, makes way for like a perfect guy like him that's got a lot of power and everything to eventually he gets corrupted, he turns dark you know, starts controlling those around him, you know, very typical classic force user gone bad storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, eventually though he does die and uh, Kestis and, and Mirren actually take him out together. But um, yeah, you know, a character like that pops up in a game like that. And, and, you know, he's an old guy, wields the force, wields night sister magic, wields lightsabers. Like it's a very kind of video gamey thing to kind of just, throw at you but when you're playing the campaign and stuff it's like it's not that hard to buy because they root it in the canon of the events that you're kind of really familiar with and so, the game itself is canon is it not yeah yeah it is yeah so like if if they did throw a character at us like you know that uh what's that uh joris kaboth joris kaboth yeah like him or you know, Malico, whatever character it is that they introduce for the first time to be like a force presence enemy for Ahsoka or Luke or whoever it is to end up fighting, even Dinjarin now that he's got a Darksaber, whatever it is, it's going to be good and they're going to make it make sense. And it's, I guarantee you, it's not going to be as frustrating as seeing Palpatine come back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that's probably the least likely thing I think is going to happen. 
that we still have to see the robot version of Palpatine's face. Which is, that's true. That's true. I don't know if he's around. I think that thing blew up at the Battle of Jakku, though. So we'll see. Oh, the Sentinel things. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are long gone. I think, but it would be cool to see one again. Just a, just a messenger hologram thing. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Powell's face. And then yeah. Trying to convince everyone he's still alive, which <laughs> ironically became true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But when that was written, it wasn't supposed to be true. Yeah. <laughs> at least as far as I know. Well, I was just having a conversation with someone about this today. And at some point, I'll have to bring her on the show. She's been wanting to come on for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, is there any uh, last minute things you want to bring up about the Darksaber, Mandalorian Season 3, or of course our featured character or spotlight character today, Tar Vizsla, anything like that? No, just counting down the days, 16 more days and we get the uh, Book of Boba Fett, so that'll be pretty cool. Wow, crazy. Been waiting a long time for this, so a lot of people excited, but... Sounds good. All right, I'll see you in the next one, man. Got a blast. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning into the show. And I can't say this enough, but every time you share the show, it helps. It helps. Uh, Leaving a review, even better. Put those five stars down there and uh, drop a comment if you're on the iTunes platform or an iPhone. If you use Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. Uh, Even sharing the link to the podcast to a friend, just... Give, a, give them your, our, our, uh, the recommendation of, of your choice of Star Wars podcast and uh, let them know that Star Wars Escape Pod is out there for them if they're a Star Wars fan and, and even if they're not and if they're, they're looking to explore the, the franchise and you know learn a little more about it. Uh, I hope we've got a decent amount of episodes that might cater to fans like that as well or so we call them yet to be fans. Uh, so yeah, at some point we'll have to do some episodes that are very much geared for people who've even never seen Star Wars before. I don't think we've done a whole lot of those. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to hit that target as well at some point. But if you guys have any interest in following us on Instagram or Twitter, you can do it at SWEscapePodcast and our email is SWEscapePodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all of that stuff, the links in the description, the Discord. Uh, make sure you join that. That's uh, You don't want to miss out on all the cool RSS feeds in there for Star Wars information. And uh, we're really looking forward to the book of Boba Fett and all the commentary tracks that we're going to be... Sorry. After shows that we're going to be doing after those episodes premiere on a week-to-week basis. We'll catch you in the next episode, guys, and may the Force be with you. Yeah.